All right, this is an important uh, study today uh, that uh, impacts a lot of people, a lot of us, and frankly, a lot of us that consider ourselves Christian, a lot of us that, are, that think that we go to church, a lot of us that think that we're walking with Jesus, and the question is, are we truly walking with Jesus, or have we become cultural Christians? Cultural Christians, and a cultural Christian is someone who has not really, truly taken Christ into their heart. They have taken him into their head. They have taken him into their intellect. They know who Christ is. They can give you a good dissertation on the Bible, all right? They may go to church regularly, uh, and, and they, may, they may be doing good works, but if they are not truly heart-souled out to Jesus, if they have not attached Jesus to their body, if they have not become one with Christ, uh, and you do not see the transformative aspect of their life because of Christ, they are not truly saved. And so that's the nature of this message today, that, that we be on guard about this issue and that we be in a position to talk to a world that doesn't understand it. So we, I want to alert you to the fact that you can be walking around for years, for years as a cultural uh, Christian, that you could be going to church for years and not truly come to grips with this issue. Uh, and so these are people, cultural Christians, are people that believe they are on good terms with God. They believe that they're good people. Uh, they, they have good familiarity with church. They have a general moral code that they live by. Uh, they, they, have a, they may have a religious family heritage. How many times have I heard people uh, who may fall into this category tell me about their grandfather was a, a mighty Christian, their father, and now they are, uh, and all of it yet taking place uh, with, within the scope of not truly being sold out for Jesus. <clears throat> so the message for us today is this. I'm going to warn you about this, about what God is speaking to you, and I'm going to encourage you to come head on to terms with this and to make this day the first day of your life where that issue is not going to confront you. As always, as I say, uh, it's not the preacher's opinion that counts. It's what the Bible says, all right? And so I told you this, uh, and I'm going to ask my brother Phil Gardner to sit and not get up, but if I ever say anything that's not based on the Bible, get up and walk out, said Phil. Because, <laughs> you know, a couple of years ago, I made that statement, and, and Phil had to visit the restroom, and he got up immediately after I said that and walked out. <laughs> and everybody started howling in laughter. All right, they figured I had it set up, but no, no. I mean, he didn't even know it. He didn't hear it until he, he's still getting laughs on that. But here's, it is the truth. It is the truth. You don't need to know what the opinion of the pastor is or the Bible teacher or the minister. My opinion is irrelevant. Irrelevant. But the question is, what does God say? What does God say about this? Well, turn to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, uh, verse 21. Not everyone, and this is Jesus speaking now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them 
plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Wow. This is a hard saying, isn't it? I mean, this is very convicting to me. Very convicting to me. Because Jesus is saying here that people who think they are godly people or walking with the Lord, in fact, may not be so doing that. <clears throat> and in fact, they may, in fact, be involved in church work. They may be involved in speaking about Jesus. They may be involved in doing some good works. In this case, the Lord says that, that they prophesied, meaning they spoke uh, about God, uh, and, and they cast out, they drove out demons. Yet, even though they did that, they were not part of the kingdom of God. All right? Not part of the kingdom of God. Meaning what? It means that in some ways, God can use inferior people, all right, for his purpose. That does not mean, it does not mean that they're walking with God. All right? This is an important thing for you to understand. Uh, and so Jesus is warning about playing at religion. Playing at religion religiosity, all right? Effectively, what does it mean? It means that you're not heart deep with Christ. You're skin deep with Christ. Yes, you're going to church. Yes, you're involved in committees. Yes, you may be, be involved in having certain positions in church, but none of that guarantees that Christ inhabits your life, all right? Now the question becomes, well, uh, Jesus is warning us about that, and he's warning about this because we may be walking through life thinking that, in fact, we are right with God when, in fact, we are not right with God. We are not truly converted, all right? We're not truly converted, meaning what? Christ has spoken about this. True conver conversion is not merely lip conversion. You understand? It's not you just saying, yes, Jesus, I like you, Jesus. But instead, it's the heart conversion, meaning, Lord, Lord, I bow to you. I give you my life. I ask you to take over my body. I will. Let everything that I do, Lord, be confirmed and conformed by you. I want to be attached to the body of Christ. And when you really do that, when your heart is broken and understand that you need a Savior, all right, that when you do that, the, the Holy Spirit seals you and the Spirit of God abides in you. And that then convicts you for the rest of your life. That's what happens. And as a result of this, God gives you the fruit of the Spirit. Your life is transformed. And so here's the thing. If you are walking around and you find that you do not have a transformative life, that's one of the keys that you need to, to be aware of. Meaning what? Meaning if you're still the same person you were before you knew Jesus, then what I would say to you is you don't really know Jesus because you can't be the same. There's no way you can be the same. And so this is about asking God to come into your heart and to, and to deliver us from this danger of being a cultural Christian. And so here's, here's the thing that, that you can look at, which, which are some of the telltale signs uh, about this. And this is what millions upon millions of people believe uh, as they play with religion. They play with religion and religiosity. Uh, you hear this, that the central goal of life is to be happy. No, it's not. No, the central goal of your life is not to be happy. The central goal of your life is to serve God. 
in submission. And when you bow to God in submission with Christ, then your life will be happy. You don't seek happiness first, all right? That's not a goal of our, of our life uh, or, or that, that the goal of our life is to be nice and fair to each other. Yes, we should be nice and fair to each other, but we're being nice and fair to each other because we're sold out to Christ, all right? We're not being nice and fair as we lift up our own social standing, all right? You can't do that. But when, you, when you're bowing to Christ and God, and he becomes the centerpiece of your life, then you understand that God, here's another statement that, that those that, that exhibit cultural Christianity say, that God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. There couldn't be anything more false than that. Well, I don't really need God in every aspect of my life unless I have a problem. When I'm sick, then I really need to put him in the centerpiece. No, he has to be the centerpiece of your life every day, right now, right now. I mean, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are in life. But if Jesus Christ isn't the very centerpiece of your life, then you need to come to terms with that now, today, because that means you're a cultural Christian. Because true Christianity means that I put Jesus in the center of my life. Nothing I do, no step that I take, no decision that I make is anywhere unless I first confirm it with Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, this becomes it. And then here's, here's one of the very famous things that you'll see people that are cultural Christians say, good people go to heaven when they die. Every day, good people go to hell. Why? Because good is defined by us, and we have no idea what good is in the mind of God. Your goodness, as far as God is concerned, is like filthy rags. All right? That's the problem with the human species. You understand? We're so filled with sin, we walk in a sin-filled world, that we wouldn't know the righteousness of God if it hit us in the head. Honestly. And we then define goodness. Uh, in our own way. And so there are people who are not Christians who think that by their own goodness uh, that they can, get, they can will themselves into heaven. Well, here's what's happening. They're making themselves their own God. That's what they've done. They make themselves their own God. All right? And they defined their religiosity by their own God. And therefore, if they determine that they're good, that they're going to heaven. Look, Jesus said it very clearly. Jesus said it very clearly. There's only one way to the Father through me. And there's only one way to Jesus through conversion in a, in a heart that's bowed uh, and takes him in and says, Lord, I give you my life. Uh, and so one of the people that has spoken so eloquently on this issue is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't have it in your notes, but I'm going to speak to you about it. You know, I've recommended this book in the past to you the Dietrich Bonhoeffer biography by Eric Metaxas. You ought to get that book and see, see the life of a truly committed man who fought Adolf Hitler and opposed Nazi Germany. And you see how this man ultimately gave his life for Christ. But he talked about the issue of grace. And you see what happens really in the, in the life of the cultural Christian is that we have adopted cheap grace. Cheap 
grace. And cheap grace, basically, as Bonhoeffer defined it, is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. And that's what you hear today. You hear it in a lot of churches, even in America. You hear about grace, but you don't hear about the fact you want grace, it requires repentance. It requires submission. And, you, and, and, it's, and it's communion without confession. An absolution without any personal uh, conformity to the will of God. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without Jesus Christ uh, living and incarnate in your life. You cannot have the grace of God unless you've accepted Jesus Christ. Let's understand that. That's how grace comes into your life. And so there are millions of people who are walking through this world as cultural Christians who have not really truly exhibited and have not experienced the grace of God. Grace is without price, without cost, because it's given to you freely when you accept Jesus Christ. Uh, and cheap grace is the grace you bestow on yourself, okay? Because you've made yourself your own God. You've determined what it is to serve God, and it's not in accordance with his will. And so this becomes important to understand. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. It is the grace that allows us to follow Jesus. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life that he can have. That's what you want, that kind of transformative life. That kind of grace and that kind of life is the kind of life that takes place when you're in a hospital room and you get a bad diagnosis and now you don't fall apart because you know Romans 8.28 exists, because you know Christ is in your heart. Because you know he's not abandoning you to the vicissitudes of this life. That he has a greater purpose in your life. In your life, And you can only have this, only have this when you're sold out to Christ. The world that, are, that, that is a, a cultural Christian does not have this. This becomes important to understand this. And so Jesus has, has made it abundantly clear to us. Look at John 14, verse 23. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. There it is. It couldn't be any clearer. You want to be a follower of Christ, then you have to obey his words. You have to take his teachings and put them in your heart. There you have to accept the call of God on your life. You have to take the cross and put it in the centerpiece of your life. And so many people want the good luck charm of Jesus. Oh, you understand that. I want to have Jesus with me when I'm traveling. I like to be in business, know that I can say Jesus is with me. I want to have that around me. But they have not accepted the sacrificial lamb of God whose death requires action. Look, folks, this requires action. This requires us extending our, our arms from the misery of our sin and accepting the free gift of God, his son. That's what this requires, all right? And until you do that, you will not experience it. 
Uh, and so scripture tells us that, that an intellectual grasp of the gospel story is not enough to save. Look, I, I, I can't re, you know, repeat this enough to you. I have seen this in my life. There was a guy at one time that was one of the uh, great professors of theology at the University of North Carolina, and I had a series of his uh, tapes on the New Testament. For the time being, I can't remember his name. His name is not important. But as I was listening to his tapes, I said to my wife, there's something missing here. I, I said, there's something missing here. I don't sense the Holy Spirit in these messages. And here's the difference now. When I'm speaking to you, I sure hope the Holy Spirit is in your heart saying, yes, yes, amen, amen. But when I listened to this man's teachings, I didn't get that sense. And I said to my wife, I said, there's something wrong here with this man's heart. Uh, and I stopped listening to the tapes. Well, about two years later, this guy becomes an apostate and repudiates Jesus Christ. How can you be the head of theology at the University of North Carolina and say that you're going to write a, a definitive work on the New Testament and then wind up repudiating Jesus? Well, guess what? That's what happens when you're a cultural Christian. All right? That's head knowledge. You understand? Head knowledge. I can go through the Bible and, and recite the Bible, but unless I have it in my heart, God hasn't called you to be a theologian. He accepts you in the simplicity of where you are. You know, here's the thing. Some poor person somewhere who's sold out to Jesus can deliver the most profound, the most profound message that touches your life. I told you my own life was changed forever by that mentally handicapped 16-year-old girl who was sat in a darkened church with 2,000 seats 45 minutes before the church started. Nobody there, and she came and sat behind me with her mother, and I was just convicted as I saw that poor girl and recognized what her mother would have to do to take care of that girl for the rest of her life. Meanwhile, I had a healthy boy, and had I really ever come to terms with Jesus, thanking him for the gifts that he gave me. And yes, as I saw that girl behind me, nobody in church, 2,000 empty seats, and a woman comes over and says, I want to invite your daughter to the, to the Sunday school that we have here. We have a, a Sunday school for special needs. And this woman says, oh, my daughter is a committed Christian. And then that girl said, with her own words, as if she was speaking directly to me, oh, yes, I love Jesus. He's my personal savior. Boom. It was as if Christ took a sword and plunged it into my heart. And I distinctly heard these words in that darkened church. You see, John, you could speak in courtrooms all over America, and I never once heard you say those words publicly about me, period. That was a sermon that touched me greater than all the sermons that I heard in my life. I grew up in church. I've heard everything in church. But until that poor, simple girl uttered that message, that message articulated itself to me in a way that I could never explain it. I understood immediately, Lord, somehow you want me to speak about you publicly. That's what you want. I get it. And my life would never be the same. That's the nature of what you understand the message of God delivered through the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, you understand? And so you can have the head knowledge. You can know the Bible. You can know the history of Jesus, and none of it means a whit. Nothing. Nothing. But have you accepted the Christ that died on the cross? 
for your sins? Have you put him in the centerpiece of your life? Have you taken the grace of Christ and incorporated it into your life? Have you given that message to your family and to your friends? And so you understand this. You understand this as we come to terms with this. Turn to James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Whoa. How's that? That, my friends, is in an intellectual knowledge. You have the intellect that tells you there is God. There is a God. Because the demons believe that too. But they have not bowed in submission to him. So you have to understand God is calling you to something great. Uh, belief in God without Christ of the cross, there's a deficient faith. All right? You may have the head knowledge that there's a God, but unless you've accepted Jesus, your faith is deficient. And even the demons recognize that. So knowledge alone does not equate to having faith in God and in Christ. And so cultural Christians, cultural Christians, like most Americans, believe that they are good people. Listen, everybody believes that they're a good person. If you were in church yesterday with me, you heard me talk about Al Capone. Al Capone. Great guy, Al. Al made this statement. I don't understand it. I've spent my whole life giving people what they wanted. I tried to make them happy, giving them the lighter pleasures of this life. And all I have received back is to be a hunted man. Yeah, Al. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're a good man. Now, when Al Capone calls himself good, you begin to understand how uh, irrational humanity is about itself. Okay, we cannot judge our goodness. We cannot judge our goodness. And until you recognize that and recognize that you look in the mirror, don't look at your neighbor down the street. That's the problem with a lot of us, right? Oh, yeah, that guy's a bum. He's a lousy father. He runs around on his wife. Look at me. Look at me. I'm father of the year. I'm a great husband. But instead, instead of looking in the mirror and seeing that guy, Look in the mirror and see Jesus looking back at you. Oof. Oh, Jesus is looking back at me. All of a sudden, I'm not feeling so good, am I? I mean, I recognize I need a savior, all right? I recognize that I need a, I need a father in my life. I recognize that my, my sins need, need to be committed. And so and, and what happens in America, and really throughout the world also, uh, good people, we believe that good people might make some occasional mistakes, uh, but sinning is for the really bad people. Those are the guys who are in jail. Those are the real sinners. The rest of us, we're pretty good. No, you're not. No, you're not. I mean, Jesus made that very clear when he talked about the Sermon on the Mount. All right? And he, when he did that, he was speaking to the Pharisees, recognizing the fact that, that you thought you lived up to the commandments. Really, you, you think you lived to the commandments? Well, Jesus told us, that if you violated the commandments in your mind and your spirit, it was every bit as, as bad as breaking the physical law. Yeah, you didn't commit adultery, but you lusted after that woman. And that lust was just as bad as adultery. Yes, you didn't commit murder, but you hated that man. You hated those people. Hate was every bit as equivalent as murder. Oh, God, how can you say this to us? Nobody can live like that. Now you're getting it. Nobody can live like that. You're right. 
And that's why you need a savior. You see, God did everything from the 10 commandments to the Sermon on the Mount. Everything in the Bible is about teaching you that you cannot live under this code, that you are unable to do it. And the only way you can do it is when Jesus Christ comes along to you and the Holy Spirit is given to you and sealing you and the grace of God is poured into your life. Now you can walk with God because now you're convicted. Now you have the power of the Holy Spirit to step up and do the right thing. Uh, And, you know, the Apostle Paul understood this issue better than most. Why? Because he spent the early years of his life till he was about 35 years old being a Pharisee's Pharisee. This guy was the epitome of what a Pharisee was, was about. He was so convicted about the law that he would spend most of the early years of his life uh, executing and prosecuting Christians. There are all kinds of Christian families who were divided because Paul put their fathers in prison or executed him. It was so bad that when Paul became called to the faith, he really couldn't go back to Jerusalem, all right? Because he couldn't sit there, look at those families and see the families that he had helped to destroy when when he uh, walked uh, away from God. When he thought he was serving God, because he was walking with the commandments, not recognizing, you didn't walk with the commandments, Paul. Your heart wasn't right. You were, you, were, you were a legalist in the first degree. And so he understood this better than most. Turn to Romans chapter three. There's a verse that came up yesterday. This is a verse that has to come up often, you know, and, and, and begin to memorize these verses and think about them as they apply to your life. Romans chapter three, verse 10. Well, we'll start with nine. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin, as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now look at what he's saying so far. Not one, not one person in the history of the world has ever truly been righteous. Verse 13, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you our modern culture. You wonder why you can't have a civil political discussion with anybody? Have you felt that way that you tried to have civil discourse, right? And all of a sudden it blows up in your face. You shouldn't be surprised because this is what you're dealing with. Your throats are an open grave unless you're dealing with people who are sold out to Jesus Christ. This is the nature of what this world is about. Really, it's a serious discussion. He's he's put his finger right on it. There is no salvation from anybody else other than Jesus Christ. And so this becomes critical to understand this. And he's, he's put his, his finger right on the pulse, all right? It's not religion that brings you to heaven. It's Jesus Christ. You understand? It's not religion, meaning what? How many of us are worshiping church? 
We're worshiping church. Let me tell you something. My dad said it best. My dad said it best. Uh, the problem with much of America is that we preach the church and we use Jesus Christ. Instead of preaching Jesus and use the church. Do you see the difference? You see the difference? My father got it. He understood. Look, you're not going to heaven because you're a member of a church. And I already warned you about that. When you get to heaven, don't go up there and start asking Jesus, Jesus, where are the Catholics? Where are the Baptists? Where are the Presbyterians? Bad move. Bad move. Bad move. I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible, I can't find any uh, denominations. You understand? What does it mean? It means denominations have become man-made. You understand? Man-made. I'm interested in God-made. I want to know what God has for my life. All right? That's the nature of what this message is about. And so God is telling us to be conformed to Christ, to be on guard about the nature of being a cultural Christian. Uh, and, and so Jesus is telling us that we need to be aware of this. Turn, if you would, uh, to Luke chapter 18. All of this is to put you uh, in a state of awareness about really what God expects from you as a godly man or a woman. Luke 18, verse uh, 13. Well, we'll start with verse 9. And Jesus is talking here. This is, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. And you couldn't find a better example of religiosity than the Pharisees. They would make all of us look like weasels, religious weasels, because they observed the law. They were particular in tithing, all right? Uh, and they, they tried to live up to every letter of the law. And even as they're observing the letter of the law as the supreme legalists, they, they have despised the ultimate gift of Christ, uh, Jesus Christ. And so here it is, verse 9. To some, this is Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness. And by the way, don't ever be confident of your righteousness. You understand? Don't ever be confident of your righteousness. Here's the one thing I'm confident of. I'm confident that I'm going to heaven because I've accepted Jesus Christ and he sealed me with the Holy Spirit. I am a child of God. That's what I'm confident in. I'm not confident in myself. I'm not confident in my righteousness, and neither should you. But as, as a mirror of Christ, I know that he's with me and guides me. That's my confidence. And so to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, that's the Pharisees, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. And here, here's the example. This is, this is the, the, uh, the mantra of the, of the cultural Christian. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Uh, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Whoa, gosh, this is a good guy, right? He's religious. He's fasting twice a week. He's tithing. God. What more do you want? Oh, I want more. I'm not interested in the externalities. I'm interested in the internal aspect of the heart. And so, uh, but the tax collector, verse 13, 
the tax collector, and you know the tax collectors were reviled. They were reviled and repudiated. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm lost, Father. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I need you, God. Forgive me. Forgive me for who I am. And look what Jesus says about this, verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What does it mean? It means this. Don't be concerned about the external aspect of religiosity. Don't be concerned about the fact that you may be a church member or your father or your grandfather or your great-grandfather founded that church. The question is, what passport are you carrying? Does it say sold out to Jesus Christ? Or does it say my grandfather was a Christian? Because you're not getting into heaven because of who your grandfather was. You're getting into heaven because of your own personal commitment to Christ. All right? This is the difference. This is the problem with being a cultural Christian. Uh, and we have to understand this. And Paul wrote about this in Romans when he said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing thing. While we were still sinners, he died and went to the cross for us. And so here, here's the key to remember as you focus in on this issue of being a cultural Christian and, and focus on the danger. We must remember it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one seminal event that turned all of the disciples from being dejected losers, running away from Rome, hiding, turned them away, and made them all willing to be martyrs and to give their lives for Christ. One event, one event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Somebody said to me today that somebody had asked them uh, in, in a dinner setting, uh, well, why is it with you Christians? Why is it that you believe that Jesus is the only way? There are so many other other good faiths out there that elevate people. Why is it? Isn't that really hubris on your part to think that? And my answer would be simply this, and you can use it again. We know that there's only one man in the history of the world that defeated death. Only one man got up from a grave and walked out of that grave, and hundreds of eyewitnesses saw him. And that one man said he was the son of God and said there's only one way to God through him. As far as I'm concerned, that's good enough for me. And that's the answer. You don't need to have any complicated philosophical discussion. All right? Only one defeated death. Only one. And he gave us the message, the ongoing eternal message. It was that resurrection of Christ that changed these lives forever. Let me ask you something. How could a bunch of guys who were fishermen and tax collectors, all right, people who were on the lower strata of the social setting, how could they become so committed in their lives? And when you read the scripture, you see the eloquence uh, of the gospel being given to you in a way that even uh, incredibly educated people today couldn't write it. How does that all come? It comes because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
through the downpouring of the Holy Spirit, where humble, lowly men are lifted up and exalted. That's what God wants for you. God wants to exalt each and every one of you. I hope today you are making a commitment in your heart. Lord, I don't want to be a cultural Christian. I want to be sold out for you. I want to walk with you. I want the world to see who I am. I want to have a transformative life in every possible way. And you make that commitment, he'll honor you. We're going to finish this next week. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these men who love you and come out week after week to study. Father, bless them and let this lesson resonate in their heart. Let it grow and let them have a greater commitment, Father, to be sold out to you, not to be a cultural Christian, but to be the kind of man in every way committed, transformed, having you as part of our life in every aspect of what we do. Bless these men, Lord, protect them this week and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.